These days, so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about, cheap razors, and whatever else they can get a buck from. But the Higher Side Chats does it differently. We succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it. So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. Enjoy! In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. It's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and no doubt the COVID year should have been a wake-up call to all of us as to just how quickly things can change. Circulating photos of people dying in the streets, media-fueled mass panic, a complete lack of medical autonomy, hospital protocols, and harsh practices that were decreed from the medical mountaintop, forcing people to watch their elders die on Zoom or through a window, almost nationwide mask mandates in any public space, floor stickers to maintain a six-foot distance, testing requirements... Free-to-roam vaccine privileges, dumping sand in parks, roping off beaches, and in the worst cases, denying businesses a right to even open their doors. It was a wild time, and while many folks see it now as an overreaction, they also see it as a thing of the past. But diving into the UN's Sustainable Development Goals shows that this was just a blip on the radar compared to what they have planned. And the scary effectiveness and effortless ease to which they implemented some of the most restrictive policies in our lifetimes with a frightening degree of near-global compliance tells me that we need a plan next time, and a little organization and networking can go a long way. Well, folks, that is where today's guest Mike Collum comes in, as he and his wife Vanessa used a lesser-known but freely available business structure known as a private membership association to open a COVID policy and mandate-free grocery store in Penn Valley, California, of all places, during the coronavirus chaos called Renegade Ranch Provisions, and have been busy building a network and spreading the word of how powerful PMAs can be for almost any type of business or service that wants the autonomy to interact with their patrons as they see fit the next time some capstone cabal wants to clamp down on how they have to do business. I'm certainly inspired, so let's get into it. Fellow Californian good fight fighter, freedom infrastructure teacher, and PMA educator, Mike, welcome to the higher side. Thank you so much, Greg. That was awesome. Hey, <laughs> quite an introduction got going there. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I try, man, but this, <laughs> That's is, good stuff. this is really exciting. Another great example of how much one person or one couple can do if they have the stones 
And I think listeners are really going to be surprised as to how simple and effective this solution can be. There's just so many people out there talking about the problems nonstop, and there's very little offered in the way of solutions. And that's why I thought this would be really exciting and, and different for people. And to start with the old cliche, talk to us about what a PMA is and how you discovered it. Oh, yeah, you bet. So I'll start with how we discovered it. First of all, Vanessa and I, we were partners in a winery. And we have a, on our properties, just a couple of miles away from the winery. And we have a, a large warehouse on here. And we were actually going to build a brewery and a restaurant on site. And we went to the county and asked them, you know, it's commercially zoned. So we're really not asking at this point. We're just telling them what we're going to do. And they said, yeah, no problem. And I said, our stipulation is we wanted to keep our gravel. We're, we're in a rural community and we're in a farming and ranching community. And I wanted to keep the gravel parking lot to keep in tune with that. I didn't want concrete everywhere or asphalt. And uh, they said, yeah, no problem. We have eight acres of commercial property here. And you know, we wanted to leave it like as natural as possible. So they said, yeah, no problem. So we dove into it, hired the architect, the engineer, spent about probably seven months, eight months designing it completely with landscape architect, the whole bit, everything tied in. Spent $100,000 on this, by the way, and then took our program back up to the county. They said, yeah, sorry, just kidding. We want you to pave it. And that came in from one of our little communist Bay Area plant communist neighbors that decided that he felt it would be too dusty, you know, with all the traffic we were going to have, right? So he went to them and complained about it. And they said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So they implemented that on us. And then on top of that, they wanted us to take, they built probably 15 years ago, they, they put a, a crosswalk and they built it a bike trail, really cool for the community. And, you know, it served really well since then. But the crosswalk that they put in is in a bad spot. It's right on a turn. It was not very planned at all. I mean, it was just ridiculous. You look at road planning stuff and there's no way in the world they let, you know, a business or any kind of little community put in something like this that was that bad on an attorney. You have to have like 300 foot of clear view or whatever. So they wanted me to move that as part of the deal for them to allow me to have my business, right? Move that and pay for it, by the way, and then put lights on it and then reestablish the bike trail on my property going across about a quarter mile of my property. And we looked at the full end cost. You know, we talked to some people and looked at our engineer and we're adding about a million and a half onto our project for a brewery. So we scrapped it. We told them, no, you guys, we're not going to do this. You know, during this period, you know, we're looking at the code and, and we can clearly read and state that there was nothing really there that was mandatory. They had an out. We had an out in the code. They would say, well, we're not going to do that. You know, so I'm not going to let you do that like that. And it's like, first of all, how do we put somebody in a position of power? where she can make a claim and say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to allow you to do that. First of all, you're power hungry and you have a perceived authority that, you know, you're just going way over your head. First of all, you work for us, you know, the people. And we've gotten to a point in our society today where they've changed from the people that are set up in place as our, as our government employees and as being as a, a, not a subservient by any means, in their authority, but, you know, they work for us. They're our government servants, right? And that, that's really not maybe a great word, you know, using the servant piece of it, which they've elevated themselves now to where we're their servants. And that's a shame across the board. And we see it in every industry across the board, you know, throughout the United States, where they have this perceived authority and they impose things on us over and over and over 
to make it a precedent. So then all of a sudden they believe that it's law and that's their right to do that. So we said no to this. And my wife, Vanessa, had been asking me for years for us to move out of California. <laughs> and finally, enough pressure from her over years of doing that. And then this you know, thing that we couldn't do in our, our building, we thought we couldn't do it. And had we known about PMAs a couple of years before that or a year before that, we would have had the brewery up and running today. And sadly enough, I'm well, happily enough, I'm glad we didn't because of the things we're doing now with the building instead of a brewery and, and a restaurant. So we actually started traveling around the country and we, we ended up in South Dakota and found this ranch that we loved and we bought it on the spot, came home, put our ranch up for sale and we're packing, we're moving. We're out of here. It's like we're done with California and the regulations and all the garbage and all the communists. You know, everybody, you know, it's like you drive around with people with them. I've seen by themselves, not we all have, right? Somebody driving by themselves with a mask on. It's like, what are you protecting yourself from your own breath? <laughs> it's pretty interesting that, that that happens and people can actually think that it's good to do that. It's sad. So we're a couple months into this, packing and getting ready to move. You know, our house is listed and we've got some interest in it. And Vanessa comes to me and says, hey, honey, we need to build a grocery store. And I'm thinking, you know, grocery store in South Dakota. And that's not what she was thinking. She was thinking grocery store here on our ranch. And so I'm, I'm pretty confused at this point in time and, you know, structuring what we're going to do because that wasn't the direction we were going. You know, we were, we were leaving. Right. And she came to me and says, well, we need to build a grocery store and we're going to do this to help basically all the businesses that she'd been helping trying to stay open for all of COVID when they started shutting people down. And we want to help them. We want to have our own grocery store to supply food for us and our family and our friends. And I told her, I said, well, we're, that's great. We're doing that, but we're not going to the city or the county and getting any authority from that. We're not going to do that. And she goes, well, that's easy to do. There's a thing called a private membership association. And then she starts telling me about this. And it's like, yeah, why didn't you tell me about this before? Because I had no idea what that was and why it worked or how it worked. So they introduced me to the guy that actually does it. And I studied it very, very hard for probably two or three weeks, I dove into it and spent 100 hours reading him all the information that he gave me and then on the phone with him and then researching online everything I could possibly find and then come to the realization that we could build a private membership association as a grocery store here on, on our property. So we dove into it in January, became a PMA in January of 21 and then opened our doors in March of 21. And it was, it was an amazing hit. We did a couple videos on it, you know, with a couple of different influencers putting across and I was getting tons of emails in every single week and phone calls, just like crazy people interested in PMAs. And I did it. I was just helping them go and I would just send them over to the guy that brought me in because I just wanted to see all these PMAs across the country because power is in numbers and the more people we have supporting what we're doing, the easier it is for us to support ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's but he wants to have somebody else help him. So when we opened our doors of our PMA, we did a couple things, right? And one of them was to be able to, we sold alcohol from our winery inside our grocery store. And before I did that, I had to make sure that I understood the law completely and that the private laws completely and why I would do that. And we prayed about it and made the determination that, you know, hey, we're going to go ahead and sell our wine in here. and Without a license, that, by the way, right? Without a license, right? With no, with no California ABC license. And we're going to sell our wine in here. And we did it. We made that decision for a couple of reasons. And the first strongest one was because we're a PMA and we don't need to. We don't need to have a license. 
because we're operating the private. And the difference between private and public, I mean, the Supreme Court's come out and said there's two sets of laws, one for the public and one for the private. And there are, and completely. And you can read through them and go through them and see how they put their opinion on them and all that. It's very clear. It's night and day difference. And so we decided to do that. And the second reason was to be able to educate our local authority, right? When I say authority, our local government officials, namely the district attorney. And then ultimately, I wanted to educate the ABC, the Alcohol Beverage Control for the state of California. And in doing this, with both these processes, we put ourselves into on purpose to be able to take and show the rest of the world that, hey, we can do this here and you can do it there. And not only can you do it with alcohol, because it's not about the actual individual item, whatever you're doing, or service that you're providing. It's about the ability to do that in the private and what it looks like, no matter what the product is. So that's what we decided to do. That's what we did. Yeah, we opened the doors in March. I'm in the Bay Area working. The second day that Vanessa had her store open, the county came in. And you got to understand the county, at this point in time, Vanessa had been harassing them, you know, since the beginning of COVID. I mean, thoroughly harassing them strongly with a big group of people and actually harassed the county health department official, the head guy, enough with her group and her where the guy actually quit his job and moved out of the county. And that's what has to happen. We need to do that across the country. You know, these people that are communists, they come into our nice little communities that start making changes and doing things that are not correct. And we need to be able to get in there and we need to be able to protest them enough to where we pressure them enough to where they leave. And the left would call that bullying, right? But the things that they do to us, you know, isn't bullying, right? That's They're allowed to do that because that's what they think is right. Well, this is what we think is right. And we don't think that we should be under that type of control and that, that type of pressure and structure and that whole idea and their philosophy of what they want us to do, which is wrong. We all see that today. Mm-hmm. So they came in and harassed her. And the lady was uh, one of the health department officials and then she brought in two court enforcement people because you know that we all know that the government is a corporation, it's a business and it doesn't make anything. It doesn't produce any product or service. And what it does, and the only way it gets paid is to be able to extract money from us through fees and fines. And that's what they do. So they bring the code enforcement with them so they can push their way into our building and see if we had something that wasn't up to code they could fine us for. And then they also, they want to see what's there so they can charge us extra on our taxes, right? And get a bigger tax base. And then the health department's there just to shut you down because we didn't get a health permit. We didn't get a use permit. We got nothing at all. We didn't ask permission from the state or the, the county for anything that we did. So they brought in a cease and desist, and the lady walks to the front door there, and it's, it's actually like a roll-up that you go to, and Vanessa saw her, and she goes over, and she starts talking to her, and the lady goes, well, I need to talk to the owner. And Vanessa looked at her, and she goes, well, I'm the owner. And she goes, I'm from Nevada County Health Department, and I've got a cease and desist, and you need to sign this, and you need to close your doors. And Vanessa kind of, she kind of laughed at her a little bit, and she goes, yeah, I'm not signing that. You know, it's like, uh, I'm not going to do it. And the lady goes, well, you have to. She goes, no, I don't have to do anything. And then she told her that she's that we are a private membership association. Explained to her how it operated and why it operated, and basically said that you know told her you don't have any jurisdiction. Your jurisdiction stops in the public, and that's what she is. She's a public person to enforce public law. And what happens when you enter into a an LLC or corporation, a use permit, a county health department permit? Any of those things are all contracts. And when you enter those contracts, you need to obey by their rules and their laws. And that's what they want to do. They want to pull you into contract 
and then have under their authority. And if you don't, once you operate in the private, they don't have authority. They don't like that. Most of them really don't understand it. And then as soon as they bring it into their legal team, they start researching it. They understand that they don't have any authority and they don't like that. So then they're going to start looking for other ways. So at the end of the day, the lady, you know, she harassed a little bit. Vanessa harassed her back. And then Vanessa says, okay, so I'm all done talking to you now. And this is private property. And you need to leave or I'll call the sheriff and have you arrested. And with that, they left. They've never been back. But what they did do is they went back and they went to the DAA's office and said, hey, these guys are selling alcohol in their store and they don't have any license. So the DA's, actually, they, they sent it to the ABC and the ABC made the complaint and they sent it to the DA. Now, here's the audacity of, of our system in our, in our county. And not all counties are like that. Not all counties have bad district attorneys like ours. So what they did was they sent me a letter that stated, you need to appear in court on this date. and now, this is word for word. Don't bother asking why, because we won't tell you. Huh. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's goofy. Don't bother asking why, because we won't tell you. So you want me to appear, but you're not going to tell me why. That sounds like pretty good due process to me, right? Right. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, just, and that's all just, that's their perceived authority and the things that they think they get to do. So I knew what it was for, and I set this up, and I want this process to happen. So I appeared in court. And the judge asked me, uh, you know, a couple of questions. And I said, well, you know, I really don't know why I'm here. And he goes, well, it's right on the paper that you, that you have. And I go, well, I don't have one. See, that's what my point. And I read him the letter. He looked at the bailiff and he looked at me and he looked back at the bailiff and he goes, go take this down. And so he brought me the actual, the order, you know, the thing that happens. And I read it in front of him sitting there, you know, and I, he knew what it was for. So he goes, okay, so do you have an attorney? I go, well, I, I'm just not, I'm now finding out why I'm here. So no, I don't have an attorney and I'm not going to get one. And he goes, well, did you want to represent yourself? And I go, you probably, I mean, because I don't think that you guys have any authority on me for this, right? You guys don't have a case. There's nothing here. And he goes, well, he reads me this other thing. He says, you know, basically it's given understanding my rights without an attorney, you know, and he wants me to sign this document. I said, I'm not signing anything, by the way. And he says, well, you have to sign it or I may not feel like I need to give you the authority to be able to cover yourself and provide your own counsel. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, it's like, whatever you need to do. And then he went into another piece of it. You know, it's like, well, first of all, then maybe let me just take and make the determination and find out if I want to hire the attorney. And he goes, okay, that's great. And by the way, I'm outside on the court steps because Vanessa and I don't wear masks. And so he's sending the bailiff back and forth with these papers that I was trying to sign them. And it's like, no, 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 I'm not signing these. And then finally, the fourth one he sends down is what's called an OR, it's Odin Recognance. And basically what that means is that I'm signing this letter that puts me under the authority of the court, like I'm already guilty, and then the court graciously lets me out of their control. And it's like, I mean, we're on, I'm sitting around the Zoom with them, and I'm laughing at this one here. You know, it's like, uh, I'm not signing this. This is the worst one you give me. There's no way in the world I'm signing this. And then he goes, Mikey, he goes, I just need to make sure that you come back to the court for when we set up another time. And I go, I came here and I wasn't, there was no due process. You guys asked me to come here. I didn't need to come and I'm here. And I go, if we talk about set up another date for me to come back, I'll be here. And he goes, oh, well, okay, that sounds great. So we set up our date and then on the own recognizance. So the first portion of things that you have to do is you must obey a laws. So now what happens when you go out on an OR and you don't obey the law or follow these 10 items that they have on there, 
then they arrest you. They can put a warrant out to you or you driving down the road. If you're speeding, that's a law. They could arrest you. And then you're guilty of that whole piece of it. And you're back in your authority. It's ridiculous. So I read him the first piece of it. I said, oh, by the way, Your Honor, I'll obey all the laws. And he looked at me and he goes, and he leans forward in his chair. And he looks up and he goes, Michael, everybody should obey all the laws that are lawful. He actually said that. Hmm. And it's like, boy, this guy actually understands what I'm doing. And he gets it, right? He actually gets it and understands, which is amazing. And so right there, I knew that, you know, I want this guy. He might not be on my side all the way, but he's going to actually listen to what our case is and go from there, right? So, so we've been involved in that case now for about a year. I think we got about another three or four months before we're out of it. And we're going to slide right through it, no problem at all. What happened in this instance, the DA sent this letter, or they sent over the thing to the ABC, the ABC sent it back. And then the ABC, in order to send it back to the DA, they had to come and do a sting on us. So they actually ran a sting operation in our store. You know, we're not heroin or, or cocaine or crack dealers, right? And for a sting operation, they're coming there because we're a private membership association. We're selling bottles of wine to adults, right? But they're losing control. They don't like that. So they come out, run this little sting on us. He comes in. Vanessa sees him. He has, she has no idea who he is at this point in time. He, you know, pretends like he's moving to our community. And then he wants to come and look at our store. So she explained how the private membership association works. And he takes and he buys a bottle of wine and signs, well, he signs our document, our membership application, which is extremely rigid in, in what it does and in the control of it. And he signs that, pays his membership fee, and then he's on his way and he goes back to the ABC. He takes the bottle of wine, he puts it in the evidence locker. A couple of weeks later, he comes back and does the same thing one more time with a different bottle of wine. So with this being done, what he's done is he signed a contract with us. So in this document, what it reads, here we go. Um, and it's the membership application that everybody that I write a membership application for receives this document, right? And basically it's our protection. And it's the things you have to do to protect yourself as a group from your members, with your members, and against the public. So he signs this thing. And basically, here, I'm going to read item number 10 to you. And then I'll explain what we're doing with this guy after we're done here. So it basically says, I entered into this agreement of my own free will without any pressure or coercion. I affirm that I do not represent any local, state, or federal agency whose purpose is to regulate and or approve products or services or to carry out any mission of enforcement, entrapment, or investigation. I have read and understand this document, and my questions have been answered to my full satisfaction. (laughs) Right, And I understand that I can withdraw from this agreement and terminate my membership of this association at any time. So he came in, signed this document, bought the alcohol from us, and did everything he wasn't supposed to do. I don't think his bonehead read the document. Right. Because anybody who understands anything about law understands that with him doing what he did, I'm going to come after him. So what we're going to do is after we get out of court, and we've been actually talking about this, we're probably going to do this before we get out of court. And we're probably going to do this with a district attorney also. So I'm going to sue this guy here for $3 million personally, not just his office, but him personally. I'm going to sue his boss personally, and I'm going to sue his office for $3 million each. I'm going to sue my district attorney and the district attorney's assistant attorney and the office itself for all $3 million each. Damn. And what has to happen, and my whole goal of this isn't to get a bunch of money. My goal of this is to show these people that you might have a government position, but you need to understand your perceived authority doesn't really operate in our world. And when you come at us unlawfully, we're going to come back at you and we're going to make it painful for you. 
So not only am I going to do this here, I'm also probably going to go after all their bonds. There's a company in Southern California, a lady in Southern California, that put together a program where we can go after their bond. And if they lose their bond, they lose their job. They can't work without a bond. And this needs to happen. We need precedences of this that are put across the country. And we need trainings. And that's one of the portions of what we're doing with the Renegade Nation. It's these trainings, these things that we're doing, and the things that are being done across the country are going to go on here and help people understand how easy it is to live inside the private world and the protections that we have. So important. Right. Hell of a story, man. I mean, that really is a great case study for how a person can use this. And you did it in California. So if it works here, it should work in pretty much any state because this is the craziest state. Pretty much, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so a, a private membership association, it's pretty simple. It's just you have a business or a service and anyone who is a customer signs the agreement to be part of a membership. It's really not super complex. It just seems to be something that we forgot about. And in terms of the history of private member associations, where have we seen them in use before COVID reminded us that we might need something like this? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So the principles of the PMA is how we do the PMA. And all of our principles of the PMA that protect us come out of the Constitution. The Constitution has been attacked in the different areas that we pull our information to protect us in the PMA 78 times over time. The first time was in 1805, Madison versus Newbury. And it went through the Supreme Court with their opinion, what's positive, basically in our constitutional, God-given constitutional back, because the Constitution does give us rights, right? God gave us rights. Our rights are protected from the boneheads in power for our rights. And we needed that because they knew those people would try and take and infringe on our rights. So that's why the Constitution was written. So in those 1805, and then we fast forward all the way to Prohibition. So coming out of Prohibition, Texas, Oklahoma, Utah, actually Utah later on down the road did this, but Texas, Oklahoma, coming out of Prohibition, they had a lot of dry counties. And in those dry counties, there were restaurants and bars and grocery stores and places that sold alcohol that now all of a sudden can't sell alcohol. Because this county, because of what happened in the event that happened of prohibition, they decided, oh, you know, we should never sell alcohol here again anyway. So they, they made the dry counties. And the people that own those different businesses said, no, heck no, this is my livelihood. So they went and they developed private membership associations. And if you think about the simplicity of a private membership association, it's very much structured like an LLC or a corporation or a sole proprietorship. It allows you to put an entity in place. It allows you to open up an EIN number so you can actually get a bank account so you can operate a business. So instructionally wise, it becomes its own separate entity from you as a person and allows you to do those things. So that's what they did. They went out and they opened those entities up, their PMAs, and they operated there. There are still PMAs operating today that have been operating for many, many years all across the country, including, I mentioned Utah, and there's private social clubs in Utah, private social clubs in alcohol, buying clubs in Texas and Oklahoma, all over the place. And I know what a bar in Louisiana that's been there for 20 years operating just like that. Well, let me ask you this, because my parents have told me about this one place they lived before my time. Maybe I think it was Wichita, Kansas, but they lived in a dry county. And to go to the bar, they had to buy their own bottle somewhere else, bring it in, and then the bar stored it up on the shelf with their name on it, so when they'd come in to drink socially, all the bar really did is pour 
from a privately owned bottle into a glass and give it to that owner of that bottle. So they're not really selling alcohol, quote unquote. They're selling the ability to drink socially. I mean, is that really what's going on here? Or are there bars in dry counties where they do actually sell the alcohol? You can actually go in and buy. Huh. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They actually sell the alcohol. There's a regular bar. You go in there. There's restaurants today. Well, I say today. There are other restaurants today that do that. You pay a buck, and you don't have to pay any money for a membership association, by the way, but you pay a buck, you join their club, you eat your lunch, and you can buy a bottle of alcohol, and that's in a dry county. So those things exist. Interesting. So how would this work with, like, marijuana? Because the big thing is that it's legal in some states like California, but it's not legal to consume in public. Vegas has this problem, too, because it's such a travel destination, but you can't smoke in any hotel, so you really have nowhere to go. You don't have a home base, and you can buy it, but that's it. Especially, you know, if you want to smoke socially, like an Amsterdam coffee shop, there's nothing. So hypothetically... I could open something like the Higher Side Club in San Diego and allow people to smoke communally and even sell it in there if it's a PMA? 100%. Yes. I'm yeah, surprised there's actually no one's a doing couple this. in Ohio. Oh. There's a guy in Ohio. And they came after him a little bit, but he's fought him off pretty well. So, yeah, you can do that. And we have another program that allows us to do more of that with actually a little bit better protection. But I think that's the alcohol piece of it, what we're doing with our case, because it's going to prove, well, you go to San Diego right now, all the little cannabis shops, the dispensaries, probably only half of them are licensed with the state anyway. <laughs> Some would say only half of them are legal, but I think they're all legal, right? There's only half of them that are licensed. Right. And that's an important distinction because there are no licenses or permits in a PMA. It's like, it's not illegal to drive. But you have to have a, a permit or a license to have that quote unquote privilege. Right. I'm trying to just come up with an analogy because there are things that aren't technically illegal as long as you're signed off on that you can do this thing. And in the private sector, which we just completely forgot about, there is a legal infrastructure that allows you to make your own rules as long as it's not something that's massively like across the board illegal? Like, what is the limit? Could I open a, a cocaine-friendly nightclub and say, well, if you're in the PMA, you can do it in here? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, apparently, and theoretically, that could happen. You would have some huge pressure immediately from that. Jeez. And so let's look at Oregon, for instance, right? So Oregon, cannabis is legal and psilocybin is legal. And basically, they legalize, I think, everything for the most part. I think if they find, you know, an ebola of cocaine on you or something like that, that it's a misdemeanor or something. And somebody told me that just two or three weeks ago. But I knew the psilocybin and the cannabis are both legal. So they're, the city and the, and the counties, they give them a little bit of control. So it's legalized statewide in the city and county. They give them extra authority over it so there could be more money extracted from people. And that's the whole reason of their, it's already legal. We already know that they like it. It's okay. They're looking at it as an income that they can own that whole stream of income on it because they're greedy and they need more money. And then they don't care whether we have cannabis or psilocybin. They just care about where the money is being, that you have to pay them in order to have that structure. So basically, it's just strong and it's bullying us into using their programs to pay them their money. So if you think about anything that we do in a private membership association, cannabis and psilocybin in Oregon, it's already been okayed by them. There's nothing there. 
So you could do it on your own. The only law that you would be breaking, it wouldn't be a cannabis or any other laws for doing that. It would be the law of not giving them their money. That's the only thing that they would really have on you because it's legalized. So with that in mind, I mean, if you could, you open a dispensary and you're selling inside of a dispensary, they can just fine you, right? And they don't have a license to take away with you. You're not in contract with them, so you really don't even have to pay the fine. They come after you personally, but, you know, that's how much can they really do with that? So inside of a private membership association, your people aren't in the public. The public has no authority. The Supreme Court wrote it night and day straight up. Think about this here. Let's say my wife and I, are, we're over at your house and we're having dinner and we're drinking a glass of wine and our friend Joe comes in with a case of wine and we do a little wine tasting. And I like one of the bottles and I ask Joe, hey, Joe, can I buy that bottle? And Joe goes, absolutely. So I buy that bottle of wine and we're in California, right? So we know that, you know, they're pretty tight on everything here. So I buy the bottle of wine from Joe. Joe sells me that bottle of wine. I don't need a license. Joe doesn't need a license. We're in your home. No license necessary. And then we take that same scenario inside of a private membership association and we put it downtown Los Angeles and we can have that same transaction with a thousand people in the building. If everybody's a member of our association and we have wine to sell them, they can all buy wine inside of our membership association without us needing a license to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. And that same thing applies to any kind of product, period. And there's strict rules that says unless you're actually actively, you know, causing harm to people that are they're dying from, they can't break the private membership association. The things that we do in our homes, we today, if we smoke cannabis, we can smoke cannabis in our home. No problem. They have no authority over that. So if we're a private membership association and we have a we have a little building downtown Los Angeles or downtown wherever we want to be in California, we could bring our friends and family, because when you're in a private membership association, the relationship is that as friends and family. That's how it ties it in. PMA or the members of that association are treated as friends and family. So we could have a thousand people in there doing cigars, drinking alcohol, smoking cannabis, all without the jurisdiction of the city or state, period. Interesting. Interesting. So there are a lot of real practical, useful examples and sectors I want to talk to you about, but just to use one more kind of silly example as to try to find where the line would be, could a private member association start up for, just to get out of the realm of substances, could they create one for fighting to the death where a dozen people sign up and they say, I understand the consequences. I'm going into this knife fight. And this is a place where we have knife fights every Friday night. Some people die. Some people make it out. Can they even enter into that agreement? Absolutely not. That's the line. That's the one case where you're not allowed because people are actively dying and you're putting people in actively in harm's way. Yeah. So that that scenario would not ever (laughs) fly instead of a private membership association. And that's interesting because it's like, you know, the old joke is, well, you can't kill yourself because it's illegal to damage government property. But it's like, you should have a right to risk your life in a knife fight if you so choose without <laughs> consequence. It's your life. But yeah. you don't have, there's no law that says you must make good, sound decisions. Right. But whatever. That's just a silly example. But I did want to ask you about how this applies to doctors and hospitals and the field of medicine, because you're working on something called the Healing Hub. And this is really interesting because so often I will interview holistic doctors. I know Dr. Andrew Kaufman had you on his podcast. 
and this is the kind of medicine I want to engage in for me and my family, but it is difficult because you write three vaccine exemptions in the state of California, you get your license taken away. So to find a pediatrician that is cool with the way we want to raise our daughter, we did it, but it's been difficult. And the Healing Hub can help people take control back over the medical decisions they want to make rather than being beholden to these overarching medical cabals. Is that right? Absolutely, 100%. And what we do, and I have today, I dove into the medical community last year after we went to the hospital, and I was probably like one of the last people that was allowed in as a visitor that wasn't vaccinated. And like the very next week, somebody from our, our county, our community, went to the hospital, same hospital. He ended up dying of COVID and his wife had to say goodbye on a Zoom call because she wasn't vaccinated. And that shouldn't happen. So I got very upset with that. And I dove into the medical community and I talked to thousands of doctors over the next three or four months after that. And today we have hundreds of doctors in every single, when I say doctors, medical professionals from every single avenue, from a brain surgeon all the way to a massage therapist, right, in, in PMAs across the country. Most of them with their license, but some of them without a license. And the ones without a license have lost it due to either not being vaccinated and then the, the state get mad because they weren't vaccinated and taken away their license and or for helping somebody with COVID the way they didn't see fit and or even talking. I've got a doctor in Maine who had his license taken away because he agreed with somebody on Facebook on how to treat a COVID patient. And then the very next week or so, they, the medical board in the state came and took away his license. So these things, you operate inside of a private membership association, again, because being a doctor or any medical professional you are, the state didn't make you that, right? And, there, and we'll go right back into like, if you're selling cannabis as a dispensary, the state didn't do that business. They just want money. And that's the state's interest into your medical practices for money mm -hmm. to be able to control what you do so they can control the narrative of how and the things that you provide and don't provide. And then also to be able to extract money from you. Those two components give them power. You know, power for the government is more important than money. They want our power because they know with power, they get money as well. It comes along. It's the secondary piece of it, right? So we know those things happen. So inside of a private membership association, we're free to take a doctor who, and I'll give a really, really easy example. I have a, a heart palpitation. It's gotten worse over the years. I've had it for probably 12 years. And it would typically, if I, if I drank, you know, too much vodka um, over a weekend or something, then it, I would get a palpitation like on Monday morning and would palpitate, you know, irritatingly a little bit for an hour. Well, it, it turned into something that even without drinking alcohol, just with sugars or caffeine or even carbohydrates, I would palpitate for a while. And so I go to the doctor, the heart the cardiologist, and we, you know, go through this whole program, figure out what's going on. And he doesn't know the root cause, but he knows it's my heart. So he wants to give me heart medicine for it. And it's like, yeah, you know, my heart's palpitating. And I know the root cause, I think, in my mind, was caused from the alcohol and from sugar or whatever I was eating that was bad in my diet. It all rolls back into your gut, right? All the things we have in, in kit are from our gut. So we researched it a whole bunch and started looking into what was going on. My wife is an amazing researcher. And right now, yeah, I'm starting a program to become a naturopath. So that's one of her dreams to do that. Nice. So she's working on that. But yeah, she researches and we start talking, looking at my symptoms, which this is the medical community's 
answer to medicine today. This is how the hospitals react other than a broken bone or, you know, a bleeding or something, right? You can see those things. But this is how they react to all the rest of the things that happen to us. They treat the symptom with a pharmaceutical drug. And then after a period of time, that pharmaceutical drug may take care of the symptom a little bit. It just kind of overmasks it. But what happens is that that symptom, the root cause gets worse and worse and worse. And then something else happens, and then you need another drug. And before you know it, you have a whole table of pharmaceutical drugs you're taking, and you still aren't feeling well. Because nobody ever told you what was the root cause. Nobody ever took the time to figure that out and to fix that. So what we did is we figured out it was my pancreas. And we treated my pancreas, and we healed myself. So that's as simple as what functional medicine really does. And Vanessa, two years ago, I was pushing her around in a wheelchair because she has rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And she researched and figured out how to heal herself. And she got ozone treatments and some low-dose immune therapies. And most of all, she changed her diet. She ate non-inflammatory foods and a bunch of other stuff, changed her gut. Today, she's working out five, six days a week. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and that's the difference. And everybody has the ability to do this. And 99.9% .9 of people don't because they believe what their doctor tells them. And that's what they do. They take that pharmaceutical drug. And I was speaking in Miami this weekend, and we were talking about afterwards, talking to some people about what's going on. And their whole thing is we're basically farm animals, right? And in that, they farm us when we're born to work, to pay them money. And then as we get older or get, they want to see us sick. So they give us, they put things out there to make us sick, which they do. We know they do that. Our foods, look at America, look at the obesity thing in America. And the obesity is just one piece of it. That's the visual effect of having a bad gut because you're eating the wrong things. So that makes them unhealthy to begin with. And they do this on purpose, you know, and they, the advertisements and all the things and the money and just the foods and the, the flavors and all those things. So all of a sudden we have an unhealthy community and then they go in there and they give them pharmaceuticals and they don't give them a pharmaceutical that's going to heal them. They give them a pharmaceutical that's going to need another one. So now we've entered into the farming event, right? Where now we're, we're herd animals and they're giving us these things to keep us alive so they can make more money so we can end up dying of cancer so they can make a bunch of money at the end. And that's just over and over and it's just rampant. That's how everybody lives their lives. Mm -hmm. And we as a nation need to step up. And I think that's really cool with what's happened with the COVID, you know, and as much as and as bad as COVID did and treated our, our nation, I think that it brought the awareness level up a bunch and put us in a position to see these things happening and understand them. And as we go forward, we're going to end up with, I think, in the next couple of years, probably the healthiest nation percentage of people that we've ever seen. Right. And when I say ever go back into the, you know, when people ate raw foods, because that's what we need to do, eat raw foods and eat real foods. So when that stopped in maybe the 60s and it changed over 50s, 60s, that's when things started to change. Right. It was a real wake up call for sure. And for people who are medical professionals that wanted to, say, give people ivermectin or do things in a more natural way, well, they can have their license revoked because this is not how the system wants to perform medicine. So the PMA is important because it allows customers or patients who want to go a natural route to find a practitioner that they can trust, that they think is an authority in this area. And then they can enter into the relationship of being a member and carry on in their own way. And the Healing Hub is actually 
creating a network across the country of these types of doctors, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have, when COVID was rampant, right, and really hitting hard, we're just in our community looking to see what we can possibly help with, you know, and everybody in our freedom communities, everybody, you know, that we knew that was had any kind of issues, we sent them to a friend of ours who, who healed a lot of people and helped a lot of people with COVID a bunch, right? And then, and then depending where you live in the country, because of the doctor network I had, I'd find people across the country that could help them and I'd send them there. We get them ivermectin, right? And we get them treated, we get them quercetin and all the things that they needed to have in order to be a little more protected with this COVID garbage. And in that, we started what's called the mini healing hubs. And we put a bunch of them out there. And this was basically a doctor or a nurse who got fired for not being vaccinated. And they went out and they were delivering products and helping people out of their car to make this work. A bunch of them were out there doing it. And some of them were hugely successful in doing this, where today they're actually working in brick and mortar now, mm. right? Because they built a big enough network. When COVID subsided down a little bit and started to you know, have less patients, then they just they shift to their natural things that they did before and, and starting to help people. But this network of things that we set up and we, we have a network of practices, you know, outpatient care facilities, um, everything that you can think of as far across the country who are private membership associations and or freedom medical people, facilities that are all part of our team. And we just now, oh gosh, about a month ago started building out part of our building. And this is the transition change I, I talked about. We used to have you know, we were going to build a brewery and, and a restaurant that would be, you know, killing people, right, slowly. Mm -hmm. And instead, we're building our first healing hub, brick and mortar healing hub here in our building. Wow. It is absolutely amazing what we're going to be doing with it. It's the construction's done for it. It was already all, you know, built out. We just, you know, painted it and, and it did some, a few little things to it. And right now we're, we're having it branded. And then when it's done branding, we're going to go pick up all of our basically furniture, and design for the inside. Our modalities are being ordered. And we're going to be up and running probably November 15th-ish, somewhere right around there. And the things we're going to start off with right away are going to be like infrared sauna, just a detox. Infrared saunas are amazing. And it, not everybody lives where I live. And they, they take this information that I give for anywhere in the country. I mean, if you have some issues, 99.9% .9 of people across the country, if they only did one simple, easy thing, it would be to detox their body. Yeah. Everybody has garbage in their body that makes you not feel good, which can cause other things. So if you only do one little piece of thing, right, is the detox would be great. And it's very simple inside of an infrared sauna. Secondarily, we have different modalities, one called the bubbler scaler. We're going to have light therapies with full spectrum lights. We have photon machine that actually heats your bone marrow to help you stimulate your own stem cell growth. But one of the most exciting things we're going to do in our structure, what we've done is we've created a special entity that allows us to do different things. And one of the things we're doing is we're going to do actual real stem cell therapy. And in that, we're going to be able to take and we're buying stem cells from mothers who are in contract and they're going to have a C-section and we're buying their umbilical cord. And these are all 100% non-vaccinated umbilical cords. Wow. Right, so no no vaccination, um, bilk cords are all done ethically, and we've got this product that we've designed in the system that is not like a standard stem cell, where standard stem cells a couple of years ago or a year ago when they became illegal in the United States, they were about from zero to three percent actual active dose live culture, and then ours are four and a half to five million active stem cells per dose. 
which is, means we're not going to have any planktosis anymore. People are going to be healed easier and better and faster and all those kinds of things. So, Damn. And we're going to do IV therapies. We're going to get into a hyperbaric chamber at one point. We're going to do ozone treatments. We're going to do oxygen and hydrogen primers, all kinds of stuff. It, it's going to be a true healing hub. And it all basically cores around the first part of it, which is taking a fingernail, putting it into a machine, and finding your root cause of your problem. That's the most important thing. And then actually treating the root cause, not treating the symptoms, right? But treating the root cause so you have true healing. And our centers, you know, one of the things in our branding is we are here to help heal you spiritually, mentally, and physically. And out of those three healings, in our eyes and in our viewpoint, is they're all the same. Because God gives us the power. God heals us. And with that in mind, when you know that and you believe it, that's how we heal ourselves. From the top down at the root cause of what is really the problem. And that's how we create a healthier nation, right? Yeah, I believe it. And so the Private Membership Association makes all this possible. And you also are working on the renegadenation.org. So, you know, the Renegade Ranch was the name of the grocery store that you guys opened when there was the, the need for that and people couldn't even go into a place. And now you have the renegadenation.org, which is a database and network of businesses that are PMAs or at least have never complied with mandates. Is that right? Yeah, and they're freedom businesses. And whether you originally complied with mandates, because I find that, you know, 99% of people, when they got threatened hard enough, that don't understand that you don't need to listen to them when they tell you stuff that's not lawful, complied at some point. So it's not about never complying. It's about waking up and not complying today. And in the two components that we require, we have no rules inside of here for the most part, you know, on what kind of business you are and all those different things. To some extent, you know, we wouldn't let some in there, but that's not our point. That's not our job to do that. Our job is to make sure that you do not and will not ever ask anybody or mandate anybody to be masked or vaccinated, period. Employees, yourself, your customers. That was the main intent of it in far as the setup part. The main intent of the Renegade Nation at the very first onset was because we never flew because we don't, you know, we wouldn't wear a mask. So we drove across the country, you know, all to Louisiana, Texas, Louisiana, you know, Texas twice, Arizona, you know, all over the country we're driving and we would have a hard time finding the hospital for one of us to go to if something happened. So that was, we started driving a lot and thinking about that. And then also for food, we're thinking, you know, we're going out to breakfast and we're having to go to two and three places sometimes to be able to find somebody to let us in without wearing a mask. You know, so we designed the, the Renegade Nation to help take care of that. And as we started growing the Renegade Nation in structure and, and ideas, we look at what are we going to do about our country? Because we don't have a lot of time left if nothing changes, right? And fortunately, I think they've woke up enough people to start making some inherent changes across the country. But if we don't do anything, we're dying. Our country is going to die. And you can only bleed so much before there's nothing left. So what I my dream is in thinking about how we can fix this whole country and thing that we've got is we need to make another political party because we're not going to be able to put people into office in the Republican or Democratic Party that are going to be able to go in there deep enough, fast enough to make any kind of real change. Because if you look at both parties, they're all the same people. They might pretend to be one thing up front, but behind the door, together, they're all 
doing the same thing. They're structurally building the things in the mess that we have today as a team. And there's no way they could not be doing that because of the way things have gone down. I truly believe that we need another political party. And if you look at how many people are, are on our side, people just like us, Greg, there's 100 million of us, easy, mm-hmm. and probably 150 million. And if we take that 100 million or plus, and we let everybody know we're already in our own parallel society. We already have our new parallel economy. You know, things that we have to do, when they take things away from us, we have to find a way to make it work right. And we're doing those things. Amazing things are coming out of this structure. But now we can take and we can assemble these groups because we have millions of little freedom fighter groups across the country. There's so many, it's ridiculous. And we start bringing them together as county groups and then state groups. And then all of a sudden we have enough state groups to be able to make a federal impact. And we start taking back our government. One little teeny town, one little city, one big town, one big city at a time across the country until we're into the states and back in the federal government. And then start making real last changes inside of our structure of our government that can last lifetimes and decades. And one of the things that we need to do is our government, our system today, you know, one of my friends ran as governor here this last term. Her name is Renette Senna. And she's an amazing person and I think would make the best governor we've had, you know, since Pete Wilson. And I think that her platform is called a seventh generation platform. And it runs on the basis of you need to leave your land better for every seventh generation. So if we continue to do that, and it's not just about the land, it's about our everything. It's about our economy. It's about our politics. It's about our structure, about the way that people are in the United States. If we continually to make those changes for the better for every single generation across the board, we're going to be a much better place. Yeah. And without that, in seven years right now, well, we're going to be a mess. And you take that seven generations and you times that out a few times, and there's no more United States. It's done, right? There's no more. The, the world is all does everything that we do. This whole place would be a mess. It's our responsibility to take care of this and to make this change. Right. And I truly believe it's in doing a new political party to be able to outvote these guys in the office across the board. <laughs> well, I appreciate the vision for sure. And with PMAs, another thing I wanted to ask you about was taxes, because it seems like not only do you get to make some of your own rules, but there are tax benefits as well. There are, right. So we make PMAs a couple of different ways. One of them would be a PMA that just is it operates like an LLC or a corporation that would be a taxable event, right? So that, that's the first PMA that we do. And the second one, if you qualify for it, and most people do when you look at it, the structure of how it's done, is that we build church-based ministries. And it's amazing that the people that are in our space and attracted to the things that we want and freedom and beliefs, they're mostly all believers, which is amazing. So we build a church-based ministry. And with that church-based ministry, we're allowed to elect what's called a 508C1A. And that's a tax status, just like a 501 tax status. That's that as well as the tax. It's not a business structure. It's not an entity. You have to have an LLC to put the 501 into and it, just like with a 508, you have to have the PMA to be able to put the 508 into and or a church. So we build a PMA, combine it with a church, and then attach the 508C1A structure to it, and which makes us a non-taxable event. And inside that non-taxable event, you don't not only not pay taxes anymore, you don't even have to fill out a report anymore. There's no reporting. Hmm. And it, it's what's called a mandatory exception. And it's right in the IRS code under the 501 code or the 50 code. And you just scroll down after 501, you get down to 508, and you find the 508C1A, and they don't have the authority, the ability to tell us we can or can't have this. 
So basically, you can start a church and you can say, I'm a 508. And they can't tell you that you're not. They have no opinion on it. They have no authority to do that. No jurisdiction. And so what we do is we set up our church-based ministries across the country as church-based ministries. And then they elect a 508C1A. They pay no state or federal income taxes. Their employees can transfer over to the 1099 employees. And then 1099 employees, you know, they, they work, you give them their money. At the end of the year, you give them a 1099 and they do their taxes. Interesting. So how does that work for something that is more business oriented? Like, could the grocery store you had be a 508? Could the weed club that I might start be a 508? 100%. Our grocery store is a 508C1A and a cannabis club could 100% be a 508C1A. Really? I See, absolutely. I've heard you talk about this and I was just really curious about it. I actually had a previous guest that brought this idea up as well, that when a lot of churches form, they form as 501s or, or nonprofits form as 501s, which makes you susceptible to a lot of policies. You give up a lot of rights that were affected heavily during the COVID years. Oh, yeah. And so there's obviously this benefit, but the tax thing is is really interesting. I mean, you can you can basically avoid uh, sales tax on products, but you know, I, I found this from a tax education website and I wanted to see what you thought of it, but it says the United States Congress gives associations favored tax treatment largely in recognition of the benefit the public derives from its activities and reduces the need for further funding through taxpayer money. In simple terms, associations earn their tax-exempt status by meeting many of the needs of its members and the general public that the government would otherwise have to meet. For example, associations can provide job training or plan community events that the government would normally organize for the public good. Here's where it gets interesting. As tax-exempt entities, associations are barred from accumulating equity appreciation for private profit. Instead, these organizations take on incentives to benefit members and the public rather than private members. Its earnings, therefore, must be dedicated to furthering the primary purpose of which they were organized. So when I read this, it's like, well, the way a lot of nonprofits like a cancer association gets away with skirting some of this is they just say, oh, well, we made $2 million this year. Our CEO gets paid $2 million. You can always raise a salary and you can also throw money into the never ending bottomless pit that is marketing. You know, those are two areas where you can always slide the scale however you want. But it does say that you can't really have private profits in this situation. Is Does what I'm reading apply here or are the methods that I'm yeah. mentioning uh, the way to satisfy that? No, it, it does when you have a nonprofit and how that, that is determined. So basically you can't pay a dividend or like pay through a K-1. So you're not allowed to do those because those are private profits. So that would be like having investors and paying out private profits. So you can't do that. However, when you pay yourself a salary and that salary can be whatever you want it to be, that's reasonable. And today what's reasonable, you can look across the country and see what's reasonable and you know, there is no such thing as reasonable anymore. Right? <laughs> it's whatever you want to pay yourself. But the money that's made by a nonprofit is there to, it's for the betterment of the nonprofit, right? And if you're the chairperson trustee or the chairperson of that nonprofit, then if you're being paid a salary, you're doing that salary and the works that you do are for the betterment of that, that nonprofit. 
And the betterment of that nonprofit can include, hey, you know, I live in California and I think that I want to expand my nonprofit to Hawaii. And you go to Hawaii and buy a piece of property in Hawaii for the betterment of that nonprofit. So you can do that. You can go buy that property, a condo or a house in Hawaii. You can buy one anywhere you wanted to buy it for the betterment of that nonprofit. Right. And that's a big gray area. Like who's to determine what's for the betterment of the company? And what's kind of cool in the way we set it up with our ministries. And so here, just kind of give you an idea. So our main organization for everything that we do is the church at Renegade Ranch. Right. So that's our church. That's the main church. And all it is is the church. And that church has a mission. And that mission is to better. It's basically to reach people. Right. That's the mission of any church is to reach people, period. As Christians, the church is not a brick and mortar. The church is the people. Right. And we've been commanded to take and to go reach more people, Christians and non-Christians alike. Hmm. Right. So the money that we use that we make is used for that purpose to go reach people. How do we reach people? We can reach people any way we want to. There's no definement on that. We can do whatever we wanted to be able to reach people. Yeah, we do it through a number of different ways. All of them are great, and we reach a lot of people. So inside of that, there's no guideline. There's no authority from them. The only thing authority that the IRS has on, on what we do and what it looks like is that when you make the money inside of your PMA, they want you to pay yourself the 1099 and to pay your employees for the 1099. And that's the taxable point. And if you think about it, it's structurally just like this here. You take it to a, a regular for-profit LLC. An LLC is a true pass-through entity. And in that true pass-through entity, inside the money of the LLC, you can use all that money in there for the betterment of that business. Right? Mm-hmm. Complete. Whatever you want to do with that business to make it better and bigger and stronger or whatever you want to do with it. The only time that there's any taxation inside that LLC is when you pay yourself or pay somebody else that it works for you. That's the only taxation point. The PMA does similarly the same thing, where there's no taxation inside the entity. It only gets taxed when you pay it out. Hmm. That's why that works. And then the IRS has a, a formula. They have a 14-point guideline that they've created that you can pull off a line that I supply and I educate counsel everybody that I work with on a private membership association on this 14 point, because that's what keeps us completely in their mind legal. And they built this document for us to be, it's our saving document. We do these items and it works. There's 14 points that they put in there and you need to do nine of them. Damn. You know, the documents that we create are ecclesiastically non-statutory common law documents. And with you being, uh, having a faith in God and with a document, it takes care of six of those line items. So you only need to find three more that work for you <laughs> out of the 14, right? So I like it. I like it. Yeah. It's structurally sound. It works well. Yeah. It sounds like I'm going to have to turn the higher side chats into the higher side church before too long. Yeah. You know, it's a very simple thing to do, bud. Man. So as we are wrapping this up, give the people a little more info about the PMAteam.club and how you do help people set up these structures for their own services and businesses. Yeah, you bet. So basically, like you said, my, my website, my email address is mike at the PMAteam.club. My main website is therenegaderanch.org. You can reach me on either one of those. It basically, I mean, if you're interested in looking at or seeing anything from a PMA to a trust to an international trust and have anything that you need in between, I can help you through those products. 
we are full service. We, we do all the stuff. And one of my main, I think what differentiates me from the rest of the people out there doing these things is that I truly am here to help you before, during, and after. We're here to help through the life of your business and through your interaction with us. We're here to help answer questions and help you through processes. And we offer all those services all the time. And we're here for the long haul. But my goals and dreams go way beyond the PMA portion of what we're doing. And the PMA portion of what we're doing is very, very structurally needed in the overall big picture, which is to create our new parallel economy, our new parallel society. So that's my dream, my goal, and that's my commitments to all my customers is I'm here to help you. Mm. You want to see billions of PMAs in the next couple of years. <laughs> it would be a beautiful thing. And I do like the use of the dot club in several of your URLs. It's a nice touch. Thank you. It is. I, my wife picked that out, saw it, grabbed it, and then we've been doing those where appropriate. Yes. And so before I really cut you loose, give the people all the URLs and info they should know. So far, I have renegaderanch.club for the grocery store, renegadenation.org, which is the database, and then the pmateam.club. Is there anything else? That's all we have right now. We're going to have a healing hub coming up right now. Like I said, we're branding that. So there'll be a healing hub website here pretty quick. And I'm not sure what that's going to be. What we got the pmateam.club and then the renegadenation.org. Those are the two main ones, right? For the URL portions of it. And we'll have the healing hub something up here pretty soon. And you'll be able to access that through either one of the other sites on a link. And then also the branding of it, we'll put it out through social media pretty heavily and get that thing, you know, branded effectively. Great. So that's, yeah. And of course, I will include the URLs in the show notes as well as your contact if you really feel confident that you want to weather that storm. But if people, oh, yeah. not only they if they want to set this up, but even if they're just looking for a resource, you can be their point man for that. Absolutely. I, I'm here to help. Wow. Wow. Well, I appreciate the dedication and the passion. And this was really educational. And we certainly see the need for it. So thanks for enlightening us and keep up the great work, man. Take care. I appreciate it so much, bud. You have a wonderful day and thank you for your time. What you're doing is a great thing, right? We all have our part in what we're doing here today to make it a better place. And you for sure are doing your part, which is amazing. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, 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 how are we doing out there? Last show of the month. I'm sure this is an unexpected topic, but I do find it pretty interesting as a potential business structure. I imagine it'll spawn a good amount of conversation. I did some digging before setting this up, and I couldn't find many naysayers. It may be less convenient to create a private club rather than having an open-door business, but pretty much everything I saw said that if you go through the trouble, this is a real thing. And you guys know I love all slices of the conspiracy pie. They're all my babies. But I do give far less attention to the slice that we might call legal loopholes slash corporate straw man slash sovereign citizen stuff than a lot of my colleagues do. And I mean, when it comes to the Jordan Maxwell stuff, the history of maritime law, the symbolism of the courts, and the idea of us being livestock traded on Wall Street or owned by the Vatican, I find that fun to listen to, but I don't find it practical or really actionable. From what I've seen, if you try to take a lot of that sovereign citizen stuff to the courts, you're going to have a bad time. So I tend to stay away from 
shows that try to tell you how to beat the system legally, because I don't really want to inspire people to spend their days in court arguing that they are only a man of the earth, not the entity described on the paper. So all that just to say that I was a bit skeptical about this in the beginning, but the more I read and the more I learned about Mike's real-world experience, the more I was intrigued. Because I saw a lot of businesses kind of operating this way during the COVID lockdowns without even really knowing it. I would see barbershops with all the blinds drawn and the open sign turned off and the doors locked, but people would walk down the back alley and come out with a tight fade. So something was going on there. But the real deal seems to be a huge benefit for medical and educational clubs. That is where I see this being the most useful. And I appreciate Mike's passion, but it does seem like they have a lot of work to do to catch up to some of the things we talked about. The Healing Hub has a way to go. It doesn't even have a proper website yet. It's always a little bittersweet when I feel like some of the conversation we're having is premature because you can't just, in all your excitement, hop off the podcast and jump right in. But I suppose if you are in need of finding any of these types of places in your area, you can contact Mike directly. Also in this episode, you heard some rare instances of me trying to correct a sound issue that ended up staying in the interview because there just wasn't a good natural place to splice it. Not a big deal, but just a funny little thing that happened. This all did get me thinking about the Higher Side Cafe again, though. Another potential side business that keeps the THC initials intact. It's something I've thought about for a long time, a weed-friendly coffee shop that plays conspiracy documentaries on the TV instead of sports or whatever. Maybe THC episodes play as well. Nothing intrusive, but just like nice, subtle background stuff. And then maybe we do a live event every Friday night or something. I don't know. I got a pretty good thing going here, and to do the cafe would cost a lot of money. It would be really putting my neck out there, and I also wouldn't want to do it in California. So if the next place we live is Colorado or Washington, then great. If it's Texas or Florida, then that's probably even further down the line. A PMA seems perfect for a cannabis cafe, though. The cannabis community is already conditioned to jump through a hoop or two to do what they want to do. Oh, I need a doctor's note? Sure, whatever it takes. When I was in Barcelona, I had to pay like 20 bucks to go into a private club, and that was something I was willing to do for just a single night. Cocaine is a little bit wilder, though. I can't really imagine that working, but hey, marijuana is still a Schedule One drug on paper federally. So from a legal perspective, it might actually be more similar than I think it is, as strange as that sounds. Obviously, that's less important. I just wanted to find what Mike considered to be the line for PMAs. I was going to ask about prostitution clubs, but I felt like we spent enough time on the outlier examples and the more useful, universal, practical examples needed to get their time in the spotlight. So I hope you found something intriguing about all this. Maybe just the fact that it's an interesting substructure that we totally forgot about the private sector and we can operate businesses within it. Maybe you're charged up about starting your own PMA or at least found Mike's personal stories with it a bit interesting. Maybe we will see more of this in our culture. Maybe if you see a PMA, now you'll know what it means and might be more intrigued to check it out. 
But let Mike know if you have questions or need a resource. The PMAteam.club, RenegadeRanch.club, RenegadeNation.org. And as always, the conversation continued for another hour for Plus members who want more and are gracious enough to support this venture. Today we got into the question of how this structure got lost and forgotten about. PMAs for childhood education, what other business types can benefit from PMAs, the cons to a PMA, the Liberty Dollar Financial Association. That was pretty interesting to me. We talked about the history of Supreme Court challenges to the PMA structure, as well as some creative businesses that I found in the Renegade Nation database, one of those being private flying clubs. I'm all about that. We talked about international PMAs and why the need for PMAs was not just some temporary thing during COVID, why this is something that you should think about long term. All good stuff, more fuel for the fire. Sign up at thehiresidechats.com and get a free one-week trial. And to hop over to the meetups calendar, let's check out the November events. Actually, it looks like somebody slid in a Halloween party tonight. If you are in Cleveland, Ohio, and don't have any Halloween plans, check that calendar. Then November 3rd, we have the LA Truthers going back to Flame International Restaurant. November 5th, we have the Conspiracy Theorizers in High Springs, Florida. November 7th, the Ontario THC Meetup at Raymond Community Hall. November 11th, Topeka, Topeka, Kansas at the Performing Arts Center. November 12th, the very next day, Asheville, North Carolina. November 13th, the Utah Athena Beans Bistro Meetup. And November 20th, the Bridgewater Triangle THC Meetup at West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, Bartlett's Ale House. Love it. Seven meetups for November already. That is great. I love to see people using the calendar and networking locally through a common appreciation for this show and the guests and topics we get into. It's a beautiful thing. But I'm going to get going. Lots to do before we enjoy Little Theory's first real Halloween. We got her into a gizmo costume, and she looks great. I hope you're all gearing up for a good time of your own, so thanks for listening. Take care of you and yours, and keep your head up out there. Big thanks to Mike for sharing yet another possible solution to the problems ahead. That's it for me. I've done my part. Your move, solution suppressors, control-hungry authorities, and PMA structure secret keepers. Your fucking move. Well, they tie that yellow ribbon around the oak tree. They've worn out all the prayer in their hearts. All along thought they were rooting for the home team. As they're sent to the game and torn apart.
And that is another show complete. Remember, as much as you enjoyed this, which is just the free first hour, I hope you'll become a Plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews. You also can engage with other Plus members in the comments and the forums, and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions I get, which is where can I find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show? Well, they are free downloads for Plus members too. And without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check mailed to the P.O. Box, and I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and cheers to a better tomorrow.